On today's episode, we talk to the author Todd Hera of Last Rights, a book talking about our profession, the history, and where it's going from there. So, Doc Nick, you better listen in. Listen in, read it up. Let's talk about death, baby. Let's talk about grief and mourning. Is it argumental or existential? What's it mean to me? Let's talk about death. Hi, I'm Benny Capal, and I'm a funeral professional. And I'm Nicholas Capal, a psychologist. Hey, Nick, let's talk about death. Let's do it. Well, Doc Nicholas, we have quite the guest today. We have Todd Hera, and he just released a book, Last Rites. We're going to talk to him about it a little bit. And Nick, just so you know, Todd and me are on the National Emerging Leaders Program together. So we, we know each other. So you might it might feel a little off today. We might be some inside jokes going on today, Doc, Nick. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I fell asleep a little bit. Were you guys talking? Or, um... <laughs> Um, well, and he was just saying we go way back. We go so, so many years back, way before me and you ever met, Nick. So, uh, so Todd, welcome to Let's Talk About Death. First, first and foremost, awesome book. I got to read through it, and I'm very quite impressed. And to be honest, it kind of goes along with what Doc and I have been trying to do since the beginning of this podcast. So, give us a little taste about this book, maybe some of your other books, just how you got into this, why this was so important, et cetera, et cetera. You know, essentially, Benny, it's my love letter to funeral service. Um, I I read this book by David Ashinsky um, about, it was called Bellevue, Three Centuries of Medicine and Mayhem, and it's about the hospital Bellevue. And the, the only reason, you know, I picked it up is because that's where uh, we did our clinicals at McAllister, where I went to mortuary school in Bellevue. So I thought, okay, this will be, you know, somewhat interesting. And, you know, thinking how interesting could a book about a hospital really be? And, you know, he just really made, you know, this, this history of medicine kind of leap off the page to the layperson. You know, I don't know really anything about medicine. I was just, you know, absolutely, you know, enthralled by this book. And I thought, you know what, nobody's done this for funeral service. Nobody's written a book that the layperson can pick up and read about the history of what we do and say, oh, that's why they do this or that's why they do that. You know, the books out there, they're either, you know, textbook, you know, the, the Habenstein and Lammers that I'm sure you had to read for mortuary school, you know, or they're more fluff. Um, you know, so there's it's a personal experience or a memoir, uh, but no one's ever, you know, put down on paper, something that, you know, as I say, my mom can pick this up and read it and enjoy it. And my mom, you know, is not in the business, knows nothing about the business other than, you know, what she's read in Last Rites. Hey, I agree with you. And I think the biggest problem that we've always had is we don't really clarify what we do and why we do it, right? The older generation of funeral directors were always like, they'll just understand that. They'll know that, right? That's just how it's done. So they understand it. And what we really found out is most people don't. And all they're really trying to do is figure it out. So you really kind of go through uh, in this book, really why we do and where it started and why we do what we do. Um, when you were going through this book, did anything catch you off guard, Todd, when you were writing it? Maybe how circuitous of a route you know it, it took to kind of get to, to where we are. Some of these traditions, uh, you know, really 
you know, their origins, I, I didn't honestly realize they, they went back that far. Um, you know, one of the, the big things uh, that, that kind of uh, surprised me was, you know, people always talk about the cost of a funeral, how expensive a funeral is today. And, you know, honestly, they are expensive. But compared to, you know, earlier points in, in history, colonial history, um, you know, in some sense, they've, they've gotten cheaper. Um, back in colonial America, you know, families were expected to offer mourning gifts to uh, the people that came to pay their respects. Um, and they were also expected to feed them and house them. You know, these folks had traveled, uh, you know, miles over, you know, country roads and, you know, getting home was no easy feat. Um, and in some instances, you know, the funeral bill would total one fifth of the total estate, um, you know, and that was giving out mourning gifts where weren't cheap items, uh, rings, uh, mourning gloves, um, you know, and fabric was difficult to make back then. So these things cost money. And, uh, you know, the, the funeral bills were in some cases astronomical. Right. No. And uh, I, I really liked uh, I was reading the chapter on the, uh, the the mushroom suit, the mushroom suit. I thought that was so interesting. I never heard it actually called that way. I knew exactly what it was when I started reading the chapter on green burials. And Doc and I have started talking about green burials to people. And and even in our small town, we're starting to get some conversation about green burials. Um, but I, I really thought that was an interesting chapter that you came up with on the future. Where do you see funerals going? Where do you see our profession going? Oh, my gosh. I, honestly, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could let you in on the secret. But, you know, I kind of laid it out in that chapter, um, you know, emerging trends. You know, will they come to fruition? Um, you know, but I think that's we could also tie in. um you know, our, our project with the National Emerging Leaders, um, you know, we're, we're doing a project on the future funeral service for the NFDA. And, and what's uh, your topic for the project? Death education for high schoolers. Okay. So trying to loop, uh, you know, the next generation of, of funeral directors and, uh, you know, people that are going to innovate in funeral service into into the profession. Um. You know, my group's working on uh, virtual reality funerals, which is something I didn't put into the book. You know, I, I had to submit this um, over a year ago to to my editor, um, and and that's certainly something that you know it's like, man, I wish I had a thought of that you know a year ago because you know I definitely think, especially with COVID and this shift towards you know more technology in funerals, um, you know in 10, 20 years, you know, we may start seeing hundred percent virtual reality funerals where, you know, Benny, you put on a pair of VR goggles. I put on a pair of VR goggles and we meet, you know, out there in the metaverse and pay our respects to, you know, Mrs. Smith's family. And I actually thought like, it'd be interesting to see if like flowers, right. Instead of flowers, like just big boards behind the casket that people could just like send you know, fl virtual flowers or virtual mm -hmm. messages or because that's where we're headed. Right. That's that's exactly where we're headed. Um, and it, but it but it, it it's interesting, too, because I do find that covid as much as it did bring virtual the virtual funeral really to the forefront. 
it also started bringing back some traditions that we haven't seen in a while. Um, it's an interesting scope to see where we're going to do funerals in the next couple of years, because I do think for some, they didn't have the experience they wanted and they're really starting to realize the value of the funeral. I'm not saying everyone, but I, I, I do you see what I'm saying with that, Todd? Do you, would you agree with that? Or So we've had a couple families where, um, you know, the, the grandkids will say to their parents, you, you know, let's say grandmom died during COVID. And uh, at that point, you know, things were on lockdown and they just did a direct cremation, no service. And, you know, then grandfather dies and, you know, they say to their parents, you know, I don't want to do that. I didn't like that. So we're seeing that pushback of the direct disposal, um, you know, which, which I think is great. You know, people um, need to do something, whether it be a service and it's, you know, you see it, it's different for every family, what's right for that family, but honoring that person in some way, you know, whether it's a full blown, you know, memorial service or funeral service with viewing, or you just do something in the backyard, it's important to do something. Um, so yes, we have seen kind of that, that pushback against this uh, direct disposal that we saw for a very brief time during COVID. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, now, Todd, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you become a funeral director? Where where are you working? Why did you start writing books? Like, what, what's a little of your bio here, Todd? Sure, absolutely. So uh, my great, great, great grandfather was a uh, cabinet maker in uh, Milford, Delaware. So that's about 60 miles south of me. Uh, I'm in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, by default, he made all the towns um, coffins at the time. And his son got into the business. His son, uh, fought for the union army. And, uh, when he came back from the war, uh, he took his father's business and, uh, you know, added in bombing to the repertoire. So, you know, my family's been doing this on and off for, for quite some time. Uh, I work for, for my uncle up here in Wilmington, uh, Business has been around for uh, 111 years at this point, so um, you know it's a, it's an old established. Um, you know, I don't want to say small town Wilmington's you know a small city, uh, but you know your typical uh, family-run funeral home that you find in just about every city you go to. And uh, I've been doing this you know ever since. I got out of college, um, you know, summer after college, uh, needed a job. So I started working for the funeral home part time, you know, washing cars, you, you know, you hear that story all the time. And, uh, that, you know, I think the job found me. It's, it's one of those things I never, never saw myself going into this. Uh, but just being around, uh, the men and women that were doing what I'm now doing, um, you know, I thought, wow, you know, th this, this is, you know, something, you know, I, I want to do. And, you know, so went to mortuary school and, and here I am 17 years later. Um, you know, as far as the writing, that's something that, you know, I've, I've always done, you know, I was the guy who was writing for my fraternity magazine or entering writing contests. And, um, you know, I, whenever I give presentations about writing, I always tell people, you know, I kind of got into, um, you know, writing books in 
perhaps the most unusual way. And this is something you were teasing me about before uh, we started recording. So back in uh, 2007, uh, I was part of uh, the Metamortuaries calendar. 2007 is when we actually photographed the calendar for the 2008 calendar. And uh, this guy out, a friend of mine now out in Long Beach, Ken McKenzie, he has now three funeral homes. Um, he created this uh, breast cancer foundation called Cam Cares. And it's a type of foundation that, um, you know, it's providing, I call it like boots on the ground support. Um, you know, woman gets sick with breast cancer. She has to take time off from work to get treatment. You know, so some cases it's reducing your income and it becomes becomes kind of that slippery slope of reduced income. And, you know, so Cam Cares provides money for, you know, groceries, plane tickets, childcare, all that stuff that you don't even necessarily think about until you're going through, you know, a health crisis like that. So Ken was using the calendar to fund his foundation. And, you know, it's just a great fundraiser, a way to get people talking in the community. You know, honestly, Benny, I would say a week doesn't go by still. And it's been, what, 15 years? You know, just last week, some someone came through the front door and goes, hey, you're that guy from the calendar. It, you know, so it's just kind of something fun, you know, quirky off the wall to do. But about six months or so after the... Uh, the calendar came out, Ken calls me, he goes, Hey, I've got another idea for another stream of revenue for my uh, breast cancer foundation. He goes, you know, I've collected all these stories from all these contacts I've made over the years of kind of like, you know, crazy, you know, off the wall, humorous, interesting, sad, poignant, whatever you want to say, stories about our, our profession, you know, undertaking. And I want to do a book about them. He said, you know, would you write it for me? And I said, no, I'll do it with you. I, you know, I, I was like, this is a fantastic idea. No one's done it before. Uh, at the time, the only book about um, our profession out um, was uh, The Undertaking by Thomas Lynch. There was there were no other books at that time. Um, Caitlin Dowdy hadn't come out with her book. So, you know, fast forward, Ken sends me all the material, you know, I put it together in a book and, uh, you know, we kind of went through all the uh, machinations of uh, getting a book published. You know, that's kind of a whole nother uh, podcast on, you know, how to get your book published. But, you know, that was a whole process in and of itself. Um, and, you know, we had agents after agent going, you know, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. You know, this, <laughs> this book will never work. This book is, you know, and, uh, I think we went through something, the 118th agent or something finally said, yes, she sold it the next day. The book has been, uh, reprinted nine times. You know, there's, there's two editions of it. Um, you know, it continues to sell to this day. Um, and, and that was kind of, uh, you know, how I got into writing books. I think what we really want to know, and, and I think this is what the book is for, and maybe what the podcast is for, but maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, is why value the funeral director? I think that's what a lot of people want to know. Why, why value what you guys do? People call us in a time of crisis, and, 
you know, it's almost hard to quantify, but, you know, I think Benny will back me up on this. A lot of times when people walk through that door to make those funeral arrangements, um, you know, there's uncertainty, maybe a little bit of panic in their eye. They don't know what to do. And nine, 99 times out of 100, when they leave that funeral arrangement conference, they're calmer, they've got a plan in place, and they feel good about uh, the choices they made. Were they hard choices? Absolutely. But they know that they've come to a person that's going to help them put their loved one to rest, get them to where they need to be, however you want to call it. But we're there to, um, you know, essentially facilitate them starting the grieving process. That's yeah, I would, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that. I think, I think what it comes down to a funeral professional and I think Todd and I, when we're talking about this, we're talking about the good ones, the ones that have been doing this for a long time and are good at what they do. Um, there is a sense of them hearing, listening, and being able to walk with that family through that experience. I think what gets lost in translations like books from Mitford and all the people who had bad experiences is they didn't get to right there. They didn't get to experience the good. They didn't get to experience a funeral director that literally stops everything that they're doing to try to see through your eyes and help you get through that death. Now there is certain things Todd brought it up. Funerals are expensive. It's just part of what it is. But it doesn't change the fact that going to see a doctor is expensive. You know, going to see any right. professional is expensive. You're paying for that profession. Like you're paying for the time that they took, you know, whether it be schooling, whether it be the apprenticeship, you're, you're paying money for their wisdom in that experience. Do we always get it 100% right? Hell no. Because nobody has the formula on grief, right. but I can say the bet we do and the good funeral directors do the best that they can in every different scenario because every family is so different, and we are in this ever changing climate where we are trying to be as humanistic as we can while trying to keep our funeral home afloat, <laughs> which can be <laughs> right. a, can be a struggle because we don't we don't have a magic ball and we're going to get. 10 cases every week, you know, it's not consistent. It's not consistent at all. The, the Grim Reaper does not tend to be. So I think why people should, should understand, I, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a double-edged thing because I think there's part, people don't want to really know what we go through. They, they you know, they say it all the time. I don't want to see you again. You know, I, I, it's good to see you, but I, I hope I don't see you again for a while. Like that, if you really look at that, that's a hard statement. That's a hard statement to say to a human being. We get it. We understand what you're saying, but it still hurts. You know, it still makes us feel like, okay, we're just isolate us even more than we already are in the profession that we chose. But I think really to, to do it, we're doing something that isn't something anybody can do. It's a calling. There's a certain... Um, extra. I don't know. I, I, I explaining this is hard too, because I don't want to just toot air up, you know, up our, up our butts. No, here. but I think, but the, I think you guys need to, you know what I mean? I think that's the important part is that we need, I think as a society 
to humanize what a funeral director really is and who they are, you know, and how well, much and I, time and effort and energy and love, I, what, whatever words we're going to use here, positive words for you guys. Like that's, I think what people need to hear is what actually goes on with you guys. Because I think that's the reason why people are like, you know, oh, I'll, I'll see you when I need to see you, right? Is because they haven't humanized you guys. They haven't understood who you are. They haven't understood. Yeah. They haven't taken the time to understand what is it about you guys that's so important. Well, that you know, make sense? You're, no, you're absolutely right. They they weren't there when we t- t- took care of a three year old and went back to our homes and picked up our three year old child. They weren't there at four o'clock in the morning when we went to pick up their loved one who committed suicide. They weren't there at the scene of a crime, seeing some trauma that will stay in our heads for years. They weren't there for all the sleepless nights. We're worried about, hey, did we put that flower in the right spot? <laughs> right. These little things are everything because it's it's a show. We get one performance for each of these families. There's no understudies. There's no second chance. It's like, okay, guys, we know that funeral sucked. <laughs> We're going to take it from the top. We're going to take it from back. the top. Come back next week. We'll get this right. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I, but, but, but I want to hear Todd's. I want to hear Todd's opinion on this. Are, are you asking about, you know, people saying, you know, it was, it was great to see you, but I hope I don't see you for four or so years. Just, Is that what you're asking me? Just humanize you. Like what makes a funeral director so valued, so important? You know, what What in your mind's eye, right? You You wrote a book about the history and you know, how it's gotten to this point. But I think what we really need to say to all the viewers out there, listeners out there, is is that there's a reason why these funeral homes exist, right? And especially like a family-owned one that's been going on, you said, for a hundred years? Like, I'm going to clap. Because that in itself is amazing, right? And also, if you're anything like Benny and I, super stressful because that puts a lot of pressure on you because if no, you're going to be Nick, uh, Doc, Nick, Todd is not stressed. He's not writing books. Oh, okay. He doesn't right. have a family <laughs> to worry about. Right. This but, is but, an but, easy but, thing for him to do, but you get, you get what I'm saying, Todd. Like I know that one of the things that, you know, being around a funeral home my whole life and, you know, witnessing my dad and witnessing all the other local funeral homes around here and funeral directors that have done really well for themselves. Like one of the things that they really struggle with is telling people how much they do, you know, and and I get that, it, you know, some people would look that look at that as advertising, but like, I don't think that's advertising. I think that's just speaking truth. And that's what I guess what I would like to hear from you is what is your truth in this? You know, I, I think both of you, you know, having grown up in a funeral home and, and watching your dad, you, you know, just know that, that the, the local undertaker, the local funeral director, you know, is just, you know, woven into the fabric of the community. Um, you, you know, you see a local funeral director and typically they're involved in the Knights of Columbus. They're in the Masons. They're coaching the Little League. They're a member of the Rotary. They're on the church council. They're part of the PTA. You, you know, they're they're doing all of these things that's, 
you know, so much more than just, you know, what the profession calls us to do. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're part of the community in every community. Um, you know, and, and that's not even counting our, you know, hobbies and, and other things, which, you know, frankly, I think is, is uh, a function of, of our generation. Um, you know, my uncle, um, you know, he eats, breathes, and sleeps undertaking, um, you, you know, so much so, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's him. And, you know, I see a lot of, of men, mostly of that, that generation, uh, some women, and, uh, you, you know, their whole identity is wrapped up in what they do. And, you know, you get into, uh, you know, some of the funeral directors in our generation. And, you know, I know you two have a band, you've got a podcast, you know, you do other things that are might be related to what we do in the profession. But, um, you know, in, in some sense, they're they're separate, but they still have their own identity. It's like, oh, there's, uh, you know, Dr. Nick and, and Benny, they have that band and, you know, when grandmom dies, they're going to call you uh, because they know you from the community, um, not just as a funeral director, but as a member of, of the community. They know they can trust you. Well, I think that's it right there. You just said a word that I think a lot of people need to maybe just just let sink in is, is this idea of trust. Because when someone we love so much, right, we can't put words to, dies, who do we trust these people to, right? And I think that, again, this kind of ropes around to my, my big question here is, is why is there so much value to what you guys do? And, and again, like I said, I understand that there's, there's kind of this, I, I wouldn't say like, like avoidance of talking about what you guys do, but, but there is because you guys don't want to be salesmen. Right. And I get that. And I understand that because to me that, that kind of goes against the whole, you know, like we want to be, we want people to know what we do, but not tell them what we do. But like, I think people need to hear that. Does that make sense? Like, I think people need to humanize you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And if they had the opportunity to sit in a room with six funeral directors around a table, they'd get everything that you're saying, doc. (laughs) I think if they they didn't fall asleep, right? Right. Well, most of the time, (laughs) Uh, but you know, to, to be honest, I think, I think there's a comfortability on both sides. I think there's a comfortability from our our families that we serve that they're going to take care of it. They're not going to complain about it. They're going to be there when we need them. Their 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 lives exist to be our funeral director. And that right there is an extreme burden, but that's what it is because death is 24/7. Death is 365. Death doesn't happen between the hours of 9 and 4 between Mondays and Fridays. And I think that gets lost due to grief, right? We're dealing with anger, depression, bargaining, acceptance, denial. All all the all the five steps plus 12 or whatever the new Meaning number making. that everybody's coming up. But the the idea is I think they lose track that we are people when they're going through their grief at times. And it's just because of the nature of the beast, right? They're going through grief. And then we as funeral directors have to drop everything on a dime to, to be there to take care of that. 
But I do agree with you, Todd, that I think the new generation of funeral directors are starting to be like, hey, guess what? We're also fathers. We're also people that love to make paper airplanes or, or be in bands or, or write books or are How many are funeral directors artistic. do you know make paper airplanes? That's my number one question for this podcast right now. I could name you 12 right now. Yeah, right there. That's secretly, Doc Nick, that's what we all do. That's part of the curriculum in mortuary sciences. Who can make the best paper? I don't know. I don't know, but that's but I do agree with I, I think we're getting there, Doc. Hey, we're going green, right? We could have some that that uh biodegradable casket, paper airplanes. Caskets made out of paper airplanes. There we go. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad this Todd, we're we're in, going to space now, in, right? There's there's the idea right there. Well, you you know you were saying I wish you could make like a part two, right? The laster rights, right? Like you could buy the part part two of this book, and that's you know that's the beauty of this too, is you can write a book five to ten years down the line when things change. Because I, I honestly think, in some ways, Doc, we are. I think Todd and I's generation of funeral directors are doing things very differently. We're communicating with each other, which has never been really done before, a lot more. And I think the honest to, to God thing is we are starting to show our hobbies. We are starting to show that we are humans. Um, are you guys doing it differently or just being more open about it? Because I feel like the older generation did do things like that. Like they were on bowling leagues and they, they did fun stuff, you know. And I I think that's that's what I'm saying right now is I don't think the public knew funeral directors were people too they were dads they were families they were you know bowling guys they were you know 50 50 calls calling people like well what if they get your uh, 50 50 ticket what if there was a psychologist who wrote a book about funeral directors humanizing them so we didn't have to do it ourselves (laughs) i'm I'm working on it guys it's in the process i talked to todd's guys they weren't they weren't on they weren't on ball yet okay well the problem was there's this competing calendar thing between Mm -hmm. my calendar and todd's calendar yeah the psychologist sexier it's a it's a whole thing well that'll be part two of the podcast the psycho bourgeois photograph didn't go well guys i'm not gonna lie it was uh It wasn't beach season for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> when you lie. started, when you started bringing Freud, Freudism in there, it got a little bit, oh, a little all, while. You know, it's all about the the Electra <laughs> and the you know, you know. So, so Todd, let's get back to the book a little bit. So, where can people find it? Where can people, you know, see where to find this book? How do they get it? Is it everywhere? Like, so you can get it online, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, or. You know, I'm always a proponent, support your local um, bookseller, you know, go down to that mom and pop brick and mortar shop and uh, buy it there. So you can get it anywhere. Very cool. And how many, how many books do you have as of now? This is number five. Number five. And are they all funeral profession related or? They are. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really cool. I, I give, I give you credit. I know how hard it is to, to come up with one a book let alone five so um no i think i think it's i think it's wonderful and i think if you if anybody listening to this um get the book it it does a really good job of explaining where we came from and i think that's a huge part and i know it's only a little part in your book todd but i think it's very important that you put that in because i think if we really don't understand the history of something we never really understand it at all and I, and I think you do a great job of kind of setting the stage, going to, you know, where they are now and then 
where we're headed a little bit, right? You say it in, even in the book, I don't have a magic ball, but this is kind of the trend we're seeing. Um, and that could change, you know, we don't know, you know, a, a, a catastrophe or a world war could change the way that we funeral, you know, funeral direct in the future. We may not have funeral directors in the future. It'd be a very sad thing, but that's, that's a possibility. Um, and I think um, th- this book gives us a little more um, hu- humanization. Is that a word, Nick? Will that work today? We'll go um, with it. We'll go with it. It's not yeah. the best word, but um, I, I, I mean, so for you, for you, what does a funeral director mean, Todd, for you? Funeral director is, is, and and you touched on this. This is this is somebody that um, you know will drop everything, uh, you know, get up from Christmas dinner with their family, you know, get up two in the morning if it's three feet of snow out, um, and, and answer that call and, and go out to uh, serve that family, and um, you know. Help them get into a space where, um, you know, they know their loved one is going to be safe and taken care of. And uh, that funeral director is going to plan a service that is uh, meaningful uh, to the living because it reflects the life that their loved one led. Uh, You know, so so there's there's the aspect of, of actually, you know, getting up and uh, physically moving their loved one, but also, you know, kind of the spiritual aspect and the, the uh, ceremonial aspect we help people with as far as, you know, letting them know like, hey, we're, we're going to help you put this together, this service together and, uh, you know, a service that is going to uh, be difficult but hopefully have a lot of meaning and hopefully you'll look back on this service and say, you know, that was a memorable day. And, uh, you know, maybe, um, you know, in 10 years or 20 years, you know, we all know grief doesn't have a timeline. You'll, you'll maybe even be able to look back with a little smile, like, Hey, you know, that was a special day. Uh, you know, and hopefully they'll be able to say, I'm glad we had that service. What is, uh, what in your profession as a funeral director slash embalmer, what is the biggest thing you struggle with? And what is the thing that you look forward to the most in your profession? I, I would say there, there are two things. Um, y- you know, the, the schedule can, can be difficult. You know that, Benny. Um, you know, the best laid plans and then a call comes in and uh, it's, it's reshuffling. Um, you know, everything, um, you know, so I've been doing this 17 years and, you know, still, um, you know, sometimes the schedule can get to be a bit daunting. Um, and and I don't know if there's, there will ever be a, uh, magic bullet, an easy solution for that. Uh, you know, I think the key is for us is just trying to find the best work-life balance and, and also, you know, find ways that we can decompress at the end of it um, to, to kind of help relieve those stresses, you know, because honestly, every job has its own stresses. You just got to figure out how to deal with them. Um, you, know, you know, I would say that the hardest part of the job for me, um, and, it, and it's only gotten, 
you know, more difficult since I've had children of my own is, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, a child that has passed and, you know, I can't quite put my finger on it and, you know, maybe your Dr. Nick can help me with this, but, you know, maybe it's, it's unrealized potential, you know, I, I don't know. Or looking at now, looking at that child and thinking, oh my gosh, I can remember when my daughter or my son, you know, was that age or, you know, just thinking, oh my gosh, my daughter, you know, loved playing with her dolls at that age or, you know, it's, it's, it's things like that. Uh, but, you know, doing children's funerals has, uh, you know, even after 17 years, hadn't gotten any easier. And, uh, you know, those, those are the ones um, that, uh, take the biggest piece of my heart, uh, each and every one of them. Um, so, and I would say kind of the opposite end of the spectrum is the other answer to your question. The, the part of the, the job that, uh, you know, I, I look forward to the most is, um, you know, let's call it the good death, the hundred year old person that led a great life. And, um, you know, we can give that family, you know, a fitting ceremony that, that they're happy with because it, it, you know, captured that person's life in a meaningful way. And, um, you know, the family just comes up to you afterwards and says, you know, you know, my gosh, that was so great. Or, you know, mom or dad looks, looks so good. Um, you know, a compliment like that, as you know, Benny, you know, that means the world to any funeral director, um, just, just knowing that you've put people in a good place like that. You know, no, it's, I, interesting, I, it's interesting that you brought up the idea of good death and, and maybe food for thought to leave all the listeners out there with is, is that you mentioned the idea of, of being a hundred, but like, I know a lot of people that died at like 65, 70 and had a fabulous life. And then I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave this with a uh, Billy Joel quote because Billy Joel is my boy. He is, he, he will always be my uh, spirit animal. Um, only the good die young, right? I mean, so maybe, maybe this idea, this, this Hollywood fantasy of dying in your bed, comfortably sleeping, you know, that's not how most of us go. And I, I also think we need to confront that. And I think we need to say that you know, it doesn't matter when it is that time, as long as you live life to the fullest, it doesn't matter. That's my opinion, I guess, for all you listeners out there. I I agree with you, but do you feel like society has put these, these, I don't know, artificial age restraints on death? I mean, you know, I don't know about you, Benny, but if we lay out a 65 year old, you know, it's people come in, it's, oh, you know, he, she was, was taken way too young. 65, you know, people call that young these days, even if they lived a fantastic life and did, you know, everything life had to offer, people still say, oh my gosh, they were taken too, way too young. How do you feel about that? Absolutely. And if we go back, you know, 200, 300 years, you know, people were living till what, 40, if they made it that far, (laughs) you know, the idea that you were, you were going through your midlife crisis at 20, (laughs) you know, like, well, you know, it's been quite the 20 years, you know, but I I think age, I think age is relative. Um, Just like, I think the cause of death is always relative, right? It doesn't really matter if somebody is ready to go and somebody's lived the life that they wanted to live. I think, I think that is, but you're absolutely right, Todd. They could be 70 years old and I'll hear it like, 
you know, they, they, they went so early, they're young, you know? So yeah, I, I don't know. It's age is, age is relative and it's, it's a struggle, but I, I just want to thank you again, Todd, for being on the show today. If you haven't heard or you haven't gotten it, Last Rites by Todd Hera. There's also other other catalog of books he said he's got. So go go to your local Ma and Pa store and tell them to pull it off the shelf and uh, give it to you because it's going to be a good read and it helps you um, if you have inf- or questions about what we do and why we do it. There's some answers in that book. So thank you, Todd, for being on there. Has Let's Talk About Death uh, done a giveaway yet on your podcast? We have no. not. No. Okay, so... I'll be the first. So you guys see the uh, the hat that I'm wearing? It says Last Rites. It's got the Colonial Memento Mori skull behind two cross trocars. Yes. So I want to give two of those away to uh, your listeners. So, oh. Benny, can you pick a number between 1 and 10? Do you want me to say it out loud? Just say it out loud. Okay, 7. 7. And Doc Nick, between 11 and 20? 11. 11. Okay. So the seventh and 11th listeners to email me with the subject line, let's talk about death in the subject line. I will mail you a uh, last rights hat. I'll eat the shipping costs. Okay. And my email is Todd at ToddHara.com. Thank you, Todd. And if you heard it out there, listeners, uh, email them and uh, we'll get those hats out to you. But thank you again, Todd, for being on. Let's talk about death. Hey, Uh, thanks for having me, guys. If you have any questions or thoughts about the book, feel free to write us here at Let's Talk About Death at letstalkaboutdeathpod at gmail.com. Like us, subscribe us. You know what to do. Because if you ain't talking about death, you're not living. Have a great night.